Welcome to another episode of Well Said, where I interview policy experts, commentators, academics, students, activists, and other others on topics of higher education, free speech, and any issues related to American culture and policy. You can share this episode on Facebook or YouTube, as well as on any podcast platform such as Apple, Spotify, or Anchor. You can download the episode and listen anytime. And if you like what you've heard today, you can give our podcast a five-star rating and go to our website, speechfirst.org, and press donate. I'm excited to welcome some new guests to the show today. Jessica Kosesko, a senior at Georgetown University studying foreign policy, and Kyle Clare is a sophomore at the University of Iowa studying political science. Both students have you know, told me all about some of their experiences on college campuses, and this is something that I think it's it's definitely worth our, our network hearing about because this is stuff that you don't really get to hear very often about what's going on on the ground on campuses. So often you hear about articles about how you know there was a professor who was canceled or students who were canceled because they tried to host a speaker, but never do you really hear the really kind of social environments, the ins and outs of what it is like on a day-to-day experience from students who do have conservative leanings on college campuses. So thank you, Kyle and Jessica, for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking the time during the busy finals season. (laughs) All right, so let's go ahead and start off with with Jessica because I know you have a really interesting story. Obviously, I have some just more generic questions that I want to ask you guys regarding uh, just kind of like what it's like to be a conservative on college campuses. What are some of the, the big issues that you've had to face? But Jessica, we were just talking about an incident where um, you wanted to post something that was anti-communist and you had, it actually was graffitied on top of by folks who disagreed with you. And I I, I just think this is an important story to tell, um, primarily because folks think that, you know, communism is not really a big issue anymore. They think that Marxism has kind of gone away in the world. And that's absolutely not true. We can see from research reports coming out of the Victims of Communism Foundation uh, that there, this is something that's ongoing around the world. But even today on college campuses, it's still very prevalent. So why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us your story? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I think I'd be the first person to wish that it would all be over. Um, My family fled communism there. My dad was, um, he fled in the late 1970s and he was caught and put into a Yugoslavian communist labor camp. And he was there for two years, beaten, starved. Long story short, he made it to the U.S., right? And so I made it to Georgetown because of him, essentially. Um, So November 7th is the National Memorial Day for the victims of communism. So I wanted to do something nice to memorialize the victims that died under communism and those that continue to suffer under these under this just evil ideology, um, because I thought that's the least I can do. Right. Um, So I planted a thousand flags with the help of other conservative students at Georgetown and other conservative organizations here. We planted a thousand red flags and each flag was supposed to be about 94,000, uh, represent the 94,000 people that lost their lives. So that's why we had a thousand because it's been about 94 million people, I think so far. It's probably much more than that, but that's the yeah, most accurate yeah. statistic we we used. Um, and so we planted all those in, you know, on our front lawn at the university in DC. And we of course had six poster boards that we also put in the ground with stakes in the back, just so, you know, people probably didn't know that that's what November 7th was and why we were doing this. So we just had like explanations with facts. It was nothing political. It was simply a memorial, a vigil, essentially, you know, like one of the posters said, you know, the USSR, 20 million victims, China, 65 million victims, right? Or then one flag equals that many number of victims. Not even two hours in, in the morning after we had set up, around 10.30 in the morning, um, I get a call from a friend that helped set up and she's like, Jessica, you need to go to the front of campus because someone spray painted in red the hammer and sickle sickle symbol on every single one of the posters. And this happened at 10.30 a.m. Every single one. Wow. Every single one of the posters. Yeah. With red spray paint on a Monday morning, right? Um, I could have stayed there, you know, in front of the university. I could have just sat on the lawn all day and just made sure no one vandalized the signs. But I was thinking, look, it's just a memorial. Like, it's not even a political statement. We said nothing about socialism because that's usually what they claim a lot. They they really try to interlace the two of them and say, well, you know, maybe socialism, whatever. 
But no, we didn't even say anything about socialism. We strictly focused on communism, right? And so it was essentially a personal attack and it was very hard for mm-hmm. me because someone else might, might've not felt that it was a personal attack, but for me it was because you could have just, I don't know, kicked the poster boards over or I don't know, X them out, anything, but someone went back to their dorm or was prepared for this, got a can of red spray paint. And if you've ever been in Georgetown, there's really not any art shops. Like you can't yeah. just, get a can of red spray paint so the student they went really out of their prepared way. for this they went out of their way and went back right or already had it with them and they spray painted the sickle and hammer i don't know even how to draw the sickle and hammer but they did and they did yeah. it on six different posters so they walked from poster to poster across the front lawn um so did you did you bring this address this issue with any of the administrators or campus planners Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't think they they knew that I had a personal stake in this. Um, because I mean, obviously, from what I've just told you, my family lived there and fled from communism, right? And it wasn't a pretty experience whatsoever. And I, I value and cherish my First Amendment First Amendment rights very much because I have them because of my parents and they didn't right. have them. Right. And so for me to that essentially be taken away from me, that that wouldn't sit well with me. Right. And so did, did the campus do anything? Because I mean, from just even a pragmatic viewpoint, this is vandalism there. Right. You paid for this property. It was your property that you decided to put up, you know, in this memorial. And then they vandalized it and destroyed it. So, yes. um, yeah, my question is, like, did the university do anything? Did they put an announcement out? Did they stand up for you? Or what was their response to this? Yeah, they didn't put any announcements up, but I did file a police report with our university. Um, I I finally got some time and I went about about two hours after this had happened. I finally had some time. So I went over to our police department and they were shocked to find out that no one had called this in because it's at 1030 in the morning. Like the campus was filled with people on a Monday morning. So they were very shocked that no one had called it in. Um, But obviously I gave them, you know, the time that this happened around... Um, and they actually found out that it was a student last last week. One of the detectives called me from oh, our really? police department okay. and told me that it was a student. They couldn't disclose the name, uh, but it was a male student. Um, of course, they had him on camera doing it because it's at 1030 in the morning. Right. And mm-hmm. it's the front mm-hmm. of the university. So they're going to have cameras. Like, how would you not even think that you can just get away with this? But that's right. anyway. Um, of course, they were wearing a baseball cap and a mask while doing this because they wanted to protect their identity. But when they swiped back into their dorm, they uh, got their information that way. So I'm I'm very glad that they found who did this um and, and they're I, going to actually be taking disciplinary action towards yes them. so the police department well, sent over uh the report to our office of student conduct and i actually spoke with them uh l- late last week um and uh they're working on it because we had thanksgiving break so it was right. kind of like a um like a shift and in, in like transition but I will definitely keep you guys posted. Um, yeah, yeah, that's encouraging that at least the police department yes. on Georgetown's campus yeah. is taking action. It's sad that the university didn't feel obligated to defend free speech yeah. um, by sending out an announcement to the campus. Uh, they I, do I it a, all the time too. And yeah, I spoke exactly. to student I, affairs. I went to, exactly. I went to Georgetown for grad school, and we got emails on the regular about various things that they felt the need to amplify to the students. It's not like difficult for them to send an email. Um, what I find even more interesting is that this is a Christian school. It's a private university. Um, it was founded by Jesuits. It still considers itself a Jesuit Catholic university. And these are some of the most prosecuted people, persecuted people by communist regimes around the world. And this is something that you would think <laughs> that would be very near and dear to the heart of Georgetown, especially because Jesuits kind of one of their big messages is that they believe in the representation of all viewpoints. They believe in free speech and the exchange of ideas and that people should hash it out through debate. Um, But again, this is something that shows you may have certain principles and you can make these claims and statements, but actions speak louder than words. And clearly Georgetown's administration did not feel obligated to stand up 
for your vigil, um, for, you know, against communist regimes, which should be pretty natural again for them to stand up against yeah. communism. Like this should be like right in their wheelhouse. Um, but, you know, and this isn't the first time we've seen activity like this out of Georgetown. And we'll talk more about the campus here um, in a bit. But I want to hear from Kyle because Kyle's actually at a public school. You're at the University of Iowa. Um, and you're you're a little younger. You, you've kind of just entered the campus. You've been there a couple years now. By the way, I love your background. For those who, who aren't watching the video, he's got like this American flag. He's in behind him and he's got an American flag shirt. So like, yes, awesome. Yeah, it's like very traditional, like kind of like Midwestern America. Um, love that. So you're majoring in political science, which is a really like common major for those who are very passionate about political issues and very interested in what's going on in society and culture right now and want to impact that. Um, so I'm very curious um, what your experience has been on campus, but also kind of you mentioned before that you've witnessed political violence on campus um, and just kind of what if you want to describe what that is looks like um, in your student experience. Sorry, my mute button was not working, but gotcha. um, yeah, so I'm at a public university, um, so people don't know how Iowa works. We have a Iowa school system. It has three universities. I'm at the University of Iowa, we have Iowa State and um, University of Northern Iowa, and they're run by a board of regents that is appointed by our governor, who is a Republican. So we have a little bit of protection when it comes to that. But otherwise, you know, we still have a lot of issues and we've seen, seen them on campus, especially this year. Um, um, we have had three separate incidents of violence against conservative students all within a month in the, wow. the school year. And we're actually, yeah, we're still dealing with, um, a lot of those. So the first incident was, and one of these incidents was by the same person twice. Um, wow. and so they're actually, not learning their lesson. They're not being disciplined <laughs> to the extent that they need to be. <laughs> um, well, actually, yeah, last year, this person, um, came to one of our events and he held up a sign calling us the KKK. We're bringing a guy who's talking about economic issues. Oh, that's um, <laughs> kind of a disconnect but he, there, but I know. But he was posting on social media calling us Nazis and the KKK and how our days were numbered. Very threatening messages, and we actually had reported him last year. Um, he was deemed not a threat at that time. So then this year, this person first he came to a turning point table. I'm part of College Republicans, but we have a bunch of conservative orgs who work together, and we're all very connected. We talk, of course, and we we work together, but. He actually came and he he swung a skateboard at their table um, when they while they were tabling on campus publicly and um, they called the police and they just told him to go away and really nothing happened from that. And then so he, he tried actually to came, physically assault them. He, he with... hit the table. He didn't hit them, but he hit okay. the table. Um, yes, yeah, so very wow. definitely very aggressive action. We right. we we recognized him last year because he had been harassing us last year. Um, and then he actually came back to a different event. I was not at that event. Um, because I'm a student government, but I he came back to another event. It was Benny Johnson. He came um did a speech returning point and he saw something that he didn't like. So instead of just walking away, like he didn't have to be there, instead of walking away, he came in and he jump kicked um their projector while screaming um expletives and yeah, and decided to um decided to do that. Um we actually have that on video. You can look that up. Um, wow. It, it, yeah. A lot of, for people who were there, it was a very scary. And then we had, we ourselves uh, had another incident with a diff different person earlier in the year at our org fair. You know, we have a big event. Every student org comes um, into our big, we have a big park in campus. Every student org, 300 student orgs come to promote the org to freshmen at the beginning of the year. Um, and we had a freshman from Chicago. Uh, we had a, we had our table that said college Republicans and he came up and he had, he flipped it over. Um, and then proceeded to go to the Students for Life table, and he actually swung his bike helmet. He actually hit the the girl who was um, behind the Students for Life table. Um, so we're still dealing with the legal repercussions. I, her, and I have pressed legal charges against him. He is claiming to be not Good. guilty of harassing us. Um, so we actually have to go to court for that. Um, wow. Yeah, but. Um, with administration, the first guy who did that to the projector actually did get suspended. Um, but the one who actually hit somebody still has not is still going to class at our campus. And it's very disheartening that um, that has happened to us. And we're actually still dealing with the fact yeah. of, um, you know, recruitment and membership. You know, it's hard because people don't want to, you know, deal with that. But we got to remind them that that's what they want us to do. They want us to go away. So we try to be even louder when they do that to us. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that honestly amazes me because I see a lot of campuses these days that will, um, if someone claims like harassment against them or, um, you know, for not using their pronouns or gender affirmation language of some sort, they'll usually get to um, those individuals who make those harassment claims will actually get the opportunity to kind of get which are these like quasi restraining orders against the students that they have the claims against that actually force the students not to go to class with them. But then when you have incidents of actual physical assault, the students are still required to go to class with the student who who assaulted them or attempted to assault them um, and just like face them every day, um, knowing that that person wants to cause them physical harm. Um, and so this is a, a clear double standard, in my opinion. Um, and this is something that also like I think a survey came out last year um, on, you know, it was a free speech on campus environment survey. And one of the claims is they said like 23 percent of students said it was OK to use violence against those that they disagreed with. And that is, a, I mean, it doesn't sound like a big percentage, but when you think of the hundreds of thousands of students, millions of students who are on college campuses, if it really is a 23% number, that is a huge number of individuals who are going to not only um, think that this is okay on college campuses, but will take that behavior with them, especially in the cases where they're not properly disciplined and they don't actually meet any real consequences for their behavior. Because it sounds like they're targeting the same types of events. They're attacking your tables. They're waiting till you guys are all out in the open and they're taking big swings at you. I mean, again, this is something that they're going to take with them in whatever their career field is, unless they're stopped at some point, right? It's not even that. I mean, our so our state is very Republican, but our county is not. Hmm. Um, and even though this person did assault, this person I was told by a detective that it was hard getting that charge against um, them at the RDA's office to get that charge Again, he's pleading not guilty to, and it's just harassment, not even the extent of actually what he did of, and in, in an Iowa, um, doing a, a crime against somebody because of their political parties uh, under law, hate crime. I know a lot of people probably aren't going to agree with that. I mean, I agree with it because we deal with it. Um, but that was not able to be prosecuted by our, our, our DA in Johnson County. So. I mean, it's disheartening. And actually, we do have, we actually have legal no contact orders against the person who did oh, this good. to our table. Yeah. Yeah. And this, but it, it's just, it's just disheartening that somebody, and he was a freshman. He's from actually the city of Chicago, we found out. Yeah. Um, he was here for two weeks and he already did that. Yeah. And the school still thinks he should just go to, go to our, our university and our campus. Like, why does he have to be here? Why right. can't, you say we don't want that behavior here and our school has a pattern when i came here as a freshman the first week i was here there was a big protest against the fraternity because they had like sexual assault allegations and i don't want to get into that but how the students reacted to that they they vandalized the frat house and then they walked across our campus to a completely different house very mob mentality we i was actually there just because i was trying to blend in um <laughs> no idea where we were going we had no idea what was going on went to this different house and they vandalized that random house in Iowa city. And then I go there the next day and the damage is ridiculous. They've had an entire car flipped over. They had ripped the AC unit out of the wall. Every window in the house was broken. There wow. was spray paint on the house and our, silence for university. Nothing, so nothing no condemnation happened. of this behavior from the university. No, no. I mean, were there any repercussions to this? Was anyone caught and charged? Not that I aware of. It just went away. It was silent. Yeah. That's amazing. So, and, you know, we saw this. You? all. Yeah, we saw this across yeah. the country in 2020 with, with the riots. Mm -hmm. But it's just like it, it is kind of appalling that there would be. The, again, I always say this. It's like these are teaching moments for the universities. Right. This is an opportunity for the university to step in and be like, hey, guys, this is what viewpoint discrimination looks like. This is what the First Amendment says. This is the history behind the First Amendment and the, and the free speech clause of the First Amendment in our country, because it is unique. I mean, it is something that uh, if you compare our First Amendment and our free speech clause to any other country around the world, it is ours is the most liberal. It is the most open saying that Congress shall make no law. Everyone else has exceptions written into their constitutions and into their laws. Ours has been upheld time and time again by the Supreme Court for various reasons. And again, like this is something that, you know, it, the students need to understand that why this is unique, why it's so important to our culture as Americans. Um, so that's that's really disheartening that, that these things are occurring on both of your campuses on and I and we already know on many others as well. Um, but I'm curious about your classroom experiences. So 
What has it been like being conservatives in your classroom or just having more conservative leaning views and ideas that you want to talk about and debate with either your professors or with your fellow peers on various issues that come up during lectures? Um, Kyle, I know you're you're in a political science major, so I'm sure this comes these issues come up all the time in your class. Um, but also, Jessica, you're in kind of its foreign policy, international relations. So I'm actually like I know Georgetown has one of the largest international student base in the, in the country. So um, I'm kind of curious too what the alternate perspectives are there and how everything is respected with viewpoints, uh, you know, viewpoint diversity in your classrooms. Um, so feel free to jump in and yeah. I mean, I, I guess I can go um, just because I'm studying more international politics and foreign policy. I wouldn't say like a, the hesitancy to really speak your mind on the issues you believe in comes from like, obviously, a domestic perspective, or at least politics as it pertains here in the United States as to like, you know, Democrat, Republican or liberal and conservative. It would probably be more along the lines of like, do you support Israel or Palestine? Right. Yeah, or like, exactly. what do you think about the war on terror or, you know, stuff like that? Yeah. Um, I've always tried my very best to stay true to my beliefs, but it's. I, and I've I've always done that, but I I know other conservative students that have just not been able to do that for whatever reason, right? Like I've chosen to be more outspoken on campus because obviously my personal family experience, I, you know, I feel like I, I have a duty. I have to use my first amendment, right? Like this is why my family went through what they did just so I can make it here and I can, you know, use the rights I have. Um, but for others, they're really just considering whether or not this is going to affect them later on in life. I mean, yeah, there's, there's the one side of it where it's like, you don't know where the professor aligns. So like, do you really want to find out, you know, cause like if your grade goes just a little bit down, I mean, you probably won't be able to pinpoint it on, you know, bias or something, unless it's like something insane, but like, usually that's not how it happens. Usually it's very under the table and it'd be very hard to prove. Um, so most students don't even take a chance. They, they don't think it's worth it or they just don't want to be known as conservatives on campus because you're going to be personally attacked. I've been personally attacked. Other conservatives I know have been personally attacked either online or in person. Um, everyone just has to decide in a sense for themselves if they're willing to take that risk or, you know, if they're willing to be branded as conservative on this campus. But later on, when they try to apply for a scholarship from the university, things might not go the way they want them to, right? So so you're saying there's real tangible consequences to being identified as a conservative on campus. Not absolutely. only are you harassed and shut down yeah. and shouted down, but you also, in addition to what Kyle mentioned, you could like you, you risk physical assault, but you also yeah. risk um, not getting scholarship opportunities, professors refusing to write you recommendation letters. Right. Um, I've, I mean, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I would like to also point out another statistic, 80% of students as of right now say that they self-censor at one point or another, either in the classroom or on the campus. So I think this all speaks to, you know, if they have ideas that they aren't sure what that idea, what effect that idea is going to have, they'll keep it to themselves rather than explore the issue with others because they know that there are some dire consequences. Which is crazy, especially here at Georgetown, because we live in Washington, D.C. I mean, if not here, where? I yeah, mean, you that's know, question. Yeah. So if you can't talk about it here, where are you going to talk about it? And the university has rep repeatedly said that, you know, they're all for free speech and they support free speech. Um, but it really seems to be more of a different kind of diversity, not really diversity of thought. Um they they really don't care about that, honestly. They care about, you know, the statistics, the numbers of, you know, how many people enrolled from here or their background and ethnicity. It's it's really not diversity of thought, which is concerning. Yeah. Kyle, what have your experiences been like in the classroom? 
Yes. I mean, I definitely self-censor myself. I actually was not openly conservative my freshman year. I still was a part of college Republicans, but I tended to, you know, I wanted to have friends. That's what my big thing was (laughs) because I was back home. I'm from the Chicago suburbs. Right. Um, Well, it's a big part of the the college experience is friendship and camaraderie, right? Because you're all kind of in this together. You want to have these study groups. You want to be able to help each other out because again, like you mentioned, you're away from home. Um, and for some of you, it's the first time ever that you've been away from home and sometimes out of state. And so it's a big deal. I mean, you need that, you need that friendship. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, I was, you know, I'm from Chicago land. I'm used to being the only Republican in high school, you know, being the one who everyone's like, oh, he's the conservative. Like I, that was me. That was me. So I was like, I don't want to go to college and have that happen to me again. So like I went to college Republicans. I want to be involved. I did. But like, I would just like pretend like, oh yeah, I'm liberal <laughs> to anyone I knew. And eventually as I kept going, I like, it was like a coming out for me. It was like, so I'm she conservative and wow. actually very active and want to be very active. And even in high school, I mean, I'm very involved with called Republicans. I'm on the exec board. If we ever need to do like media for a school newspaper, um, you know, when they're not calling us fascists, I do do media for them. Um, I'm the one who does it. So I definitely put my name out there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so if I'm definitely I'm on campus, I'm behind the table. This is called Republicans. I'm the one who should be very open and not be afraid to say what my mind in the classroom. But I still to this day, like, I'm like, I just don't try and rock the boat. Like, if it's not yeah. important, it's not important. You know, I'm just like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, I don't wear political shirts to class. You know, I, I you know, I wear it on campus, but I won't wear it to class. It's just, I just don't do it because I just don't want to deal with it. And like, even my professor, I've won this year. He, um, it's, he does a class about comparative politics, which is about comparing, you know, other countries' political domestic mm-hmm. policies to America. And we're talking about Sweden. Um, and he, when he was talking about one of the right-wing parties, he was just like, oh, they're just a bunch of Nazis. Don't worry about them. And actually, during the year, they actually had an election in Sweden. This party got the second most amount of votes in Sweden. I'm just sitting there like, what? I don't yeah. think like that, a Nazi party would get any votes in Sweden. I looked into it. I was like, oh, they have a weird past. But I mean, the Democratic Party has a weird past, but we don't just call them racist clan members. I mean, right. that's what they call us nowadays, right? Right. So it's cool. just sitting there. It's like, you know, these professors, they're misleading students. It's an intro class. A lot of students, you know, they're misleading students to just call right-wing parties. They're just Nazis. And that that mindset definitely seeks in. And it goes back to us, too. Like, what they say goes back to us. Because when they say these things about right-wing people, about conservatives, about the Republican Party, then the students call us those things. You know, we had an event, Alan West was here two days ago, and we had a girl in the back with a cardboard sign that said, keep the alt-right off our campus, punch your local Nazi in the face today. And who's the local Nazi? She's talking about us. Our school newspaper, they're putting in their paper, they're saying that we're leading a semi-fascist movement, like the president says, that we're leading. You know, that's the reason they say these things about us, because the people from the top in our classrooms, in our in our in Congress, our president of the United States, the former President Obama, when they say the things about Republicans and right wing people in the classroom, anywhere else, it comes back to us and it affects us, too. So, yeah, you know, that's our experience. And I can promise you, if I'm censoring the classroom, there are plenty of other people who are censoring themselves in the classroom, even in Iowa. Right. Yeah. No, I've, I've definitely heard of this at other universities, too, where. I'm curious, are your professors pretty, it sounds like the one you just described is pretty outward in his political preferences, but are most professors generally kind of, they make it known or do they attempt to balance? Like what is, what are your experiences with all of your professors kind of more on a holistic level? And then I'm just, I'm curious if you think that doesn't, if, if, if even if it doesn't work, like and you still kind of end up knowing where your professor stands on things, are you modifying like what you write in your assignments based on that? Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm a sophomore, I'm taking mostly intro classes right now. And I've heard as I get further into it, it may get a little worse, so I'm bracing for that. But I mean, a lot of the so most of my professors in the political science department are usually pretty, you know, they're not, they're not going to be very, like, they're not going to be difficult to you and you any like, they're not going to say they're going to like, be grade you differently for being political, like, they're not gonna obviously say that, but still in the back of your mind, even if they aren't going to do that. You're going to think that as a student and you see another campus, you're going to think that. And I've actually had conversations with some professors and have political discussions with them. And, you know, it's I, I think a lot of them are open to political debate. But, you know, especially when they're writing papers and they're, you know, doing their own academic research. And you can obviously figure out, like, if they're writing about something, like, you're going to know, like, their side. So I don't think our professors are very, you know, 
they don't hide it all. I, one of my professors last year, when she was introducing herself, she had a picture of herself with her um, her three adult children at the Women's March in 2017. Okay. You know, so she definitely put it all out there, you know, what, what she was standing by. Um, yeah. So, like, it's just like you never know. Like, they're not going to say they're going to discriminate against you. But, like, in the back of your head, you're like, you know. And right. they're not the ones grading it, too. It is the TAs. So, I, honestly, you have to know uh, who your TAs are and what your TAs are doing to really know if you're going to get, like, a harsher grade on your paper. But for now, I haven't experienced that yet, but I've heard in, it may get a little worse when you get into our little classes. Right. So I'm bracing. Yeah, I'm curious, Jessica, what your experience has been too. Um, I'm also with both of you. Like if, I mean, I'm not sure if you follow your professors on social media or if you've checked up on them, but I've definitely seen various faculty members on universities posting things that are very anti-Semitic, very anti-Zionist, or also, you know, some things that are very like anti um, male, like conservative white males, and especially at Georgetown, um, when I was going there, there was a professor, Christine Fair, who I believe is still there at the grad school teaching on South East Asia security policy. Um, and she actually tweeted that she believes that all um, white conservative men should be killed and um, their bodies should be hung up and castrated. And she made this very, this was like something she actually just tweeted. And there was no like LOL afterwards. It was literally just a statement. Um, and so a lot of students were concerned because they took her class and they're like, you know, I'm a white male. Um, what does that mean? Like for me, uh, and like, how is she going to grade me? If she thinks I should not only, you know, uh, that she doesn't like my ideas, but she also thinks I should be like killed and hung. Like, it's just, um, very strange. Um, and Georgetown actually, they put her on sabbatical and then brought her back. Like that she did not get fired for this. So this is something that, you know, it is really concerning, especially when you look at incidents of Georgetown law completely like disintegrating um, the contract with Ilya Shapiro when he tweeted something that was not even close to that level of insulting um, as Christine Fair's tweet. But Jessica, I'm curious what your thoughts are on uh, or what your experiences have been with professors. Are they really blatant about their political positions? Do you feel like you're able to challenge them in the classroom or do you kind of keep your head down, especially when it comes to writing papers? Well, obviously my favorite classes are the ones where the professors, like you don't know what their yeah, political yeah. the, their politics are because I mean, that's what it was like for me in high school. And I think that's what it should be all the way through your education. I mean, there's really no reason why someone's political beliefs have anything to do with what you're teaching them in class, right? Yeah. So like, like I, I would be fine. Like, yeah, I, I won't say anything about my political beliefs and neither will you. I think that would be, you know, great unless you know you're actively discussing but even if you're talking about policy or different beliefs you you wouldn't have to like label it but um i i know some conservative professors here at georgetown and you can imagine here how difficult i mean imagine being a student but imagine being a conservative professor here where like even if you open your mouth about anything like you're just you know fired or whatever right um So I I don't think they're, I think if they're conservative, they're very closed off about their political beliefs. If they're liberal, the opposite, right? And I mean, I had to take an African-American studies class here at Georgetown. um, And, you know, the professor, he was like part of Black Lives Matter. And he was on this Netflix documentary about the march and whatever. So like, clearly, like, you know exactly what they're about. And even if I dare to open my mouth and you know tell them who I voted for like (laughs) and I was the only white person in like a class of 10 students like I couldn't even open my my mouth that entire semester not that I had anything bad to say I just you know even if you wanted to comment or push back on anything oh yeah like it would just be impossible and it and like you feel like you would get ganged up on because if it's just, I'm just the only white person and there's, you know, nine other people that aren't. Mm-hmm. If I say something like, I, can I, can I open my mouth? Like, is this right. okay? Like, I'm not even going to say anything bad. I'm just going to challenge your point. Right. But that's just unacceptable. Right. So. Right. And then, I mean, we'll talk here in a minute. I want to talk about like what level of preparation you actually think you have now for the professional world if you're constantly keeping your mouth shut and not expressing your viewpoints and challenging others and getting challenged by others themselves. But before we get into that, I do want to ask you, so there's a couple of things you guys both brought up. One, uh, Kyle, you mentioned that someone was holding a sign that says like, you know, punch your Nazi today or whatever. Like, 
there's just this desire for physical violence. Where is the anger coming from that you guys are seeing on campus? Because everyone just seems like so angry. And that's what leads to this physical violence aspect. Well, that's what they're being taught. They're being told that not in school, maybe in school. I don't know where it's coming from. No one's taught me to be violent. I was always told to <laughs> to respect other people, respect people's spaces. But yeah. um, they're being told that we're the enemy. And it's by it's by the people who are above us. It's by our politicians. It's by these people who tell us that right wing people, that we're all fascists. We're all Nazis. We all want to kill all black people like, you know, stuff like that. That's what they're being taught. That's what they're being told. They're being told we're evil. You know, we're racist. We're every is ism obic in the book. Right. And they think we're evil. They think we're the enemy. They don't want to talk to us. So they think the only way to deal with evil people is to punch them and that violence is the only solution. Violence is going to free them from their oppression, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's that's their mindset. And there's definitely, I don't know in Georgetown, but there definitely is a big protest culture here in university. Like, drop of a half, anything happens. You know, there'll be 100 students at our, our like, center as the old capital, the Pentecrest. There'll be a hundred students there. And they'll be holding a bunch of, you know, makeshift signs, you know, protesting, whatever. We just had one about that shooting at the um the club in Colorado. So, you know, we actually when we, there was an abortion protest uh back in May when the leaked decision came out, we actually had a group of us go there to be counter protesters. And that was yeah. that was an interesting experience. But we actually had some good conversations. Good. So, you know, it's not like it's the end of the day, but there are definitely yeah. people who would start talking to us. Then we start challenging them. Mm-hmm. You know, there was these young group of girls. They were probably like maybe 13, 14. And like, it was very, like one of them had, had like pain in her back. It was like, you know, P word power. I don't know how bad I yeah. can, <laughs> I can say, but it had that. And I, my sign said, um, you deny science. Um, and she looked at me and she was like, do you deny science? What does that mean? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, Oh, well, they say it's, they say a fetus isn't a human. And she's like, well, it's literally not. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. then what is it? A dog? And her friends like, don't talk to him. Don't talk to him. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, so they like, they encourage off. each other not to engage. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I think we're so crazy. We're just, yeah. We're a bunch of crazy crackpots who have crazy ideas. You know, we're just holding signs that say, you know, life is important. Life is valuable. We did have some good conversations with adults, but you know, it's just hard because they don't want to talk to us. They don't want to engage because they're told we're the enemies and don't talk to the enemy. It's like, don't yeah. cross the picket line. You know, it's don't talk so- to them because. Yeah. It's just so fascinating to me because I'm like, historically, even if you don't have a, a like a deep wealth of knowledge of like how, you know, historic moments in, in world history, like, you know, that mob mentality usually leads to bad things. Like, you know, you could even look at American history with the, something that the left talks about a lot, the Salem witch trials, because the feminists like to talk about that for some reason. But like, it's like, you know, this is like a mob mentality, you know, or lynching, you know, at the time of like severe racism and segregation in this country, like that kind of stuff, that mob mentality. And if you ask yourself what leads to this, like anger, this violence and this mob-like thinking, you can easily point to the fact that it's it's straight up ignorance. Like these people just have zero desire to engage um, in any of those situations. They don't want to learn about the other side. They don't want to engage with them. They don't want to talk to them or debate with them. They have already drawn conclusions and now are leading like which with pitchforks, like going to go do something crazy because they're just all feeding off of this like ignorant anger. And it's just amazing that like, there's just like no learning from history here and that there's no like reflection of Hey, you know, maybe what we're doing is really similar to the things that we're against. Um, and I know that sounds like really basic when we say it out loud, but the it is like mind boggling is you're like, how is this still happening? Um, and of course, there's this type of uh, mentality and behavior goes all the way back to ancient history. Like you can see examples of it all throughout history. Um, so it's not new but it keeps repeating itself. And that, and they see these things yeah. on social media too. Like they yeah. see like these, oh, punch Nazi. Someone says that, oh, you're so cool. You're so amazing. Cause right. like you're standing same against Nazi, but they don't understand the real world implications of what that does to us and how that affects us. When, you yeah, know, we, that's we're a great being compared point. To Nazis. The social media impact. Okay, let's talk about that in a bit, yeah. but I do want to hear from Jessica on just kind of mm-hmm. the general, like where do you think the anger is coming from from what you've seen on campus? Like what are some of your, what are some of your thoughts on that? I mean, I would say for Georgetown, it probably uh, at least a little bit has to do with the proximity of being here in DC. I mean, for me, I I feel political political polarization in the air here. Like it's very heavy. Um, it definitely feels like 
you know, if you went out there and tried having a conversation with someone that you disagreed with, it would probably end very bad. Um, and, and that's, that's really discouraging. I'm just very hopeful still that it's not like this everywhere else in the country. I'm hoping this is just like DC and like, yeah, it might be bad somewhere else in the U S but like, it can't be this bad. Um, I hope, um, yeah, political polarization. I mean, people just don't want to listen to you. Like they'll, because we talked about this, they'd rather just not engage with you. But if they don't, you don't engage, you, you just, you know, you look online and you think, oh yeah, all Republicans, all, all conservatives, they're all whatever names you want to use. Um, so if you don't even have those conversations in the first place, you're just going to be more and more apathetic and you're going to hate the other side more and more. Like, right. You, you need to be open-minded and listen, and then you can still respectfully disagree. I have had some conversations with people on the left, very respectful conversations. And when those happen, I always really cherish them and I'm very appreciative that they happen, but they're so rare. Hmm. That's what's concerning is how, how few people are actually willing to sit down with you and have these tough conversations. Yeah. Um, I mean, why do you think they're tough conversations? Is it because there's just a genuine lack of understanding? Like they 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 can't defend their arguments, so they just they shy away from ever engaging because they they're like they just don't have the the knowledge or the facts behind their arguments to to defend it with properly. Or do you think it's just more of you know a just a lack of thoughtfulness? Like why why is there you know, because you'd say like it is it is cherished. And I have met people on the left who also really cherish these discussions. And, you know, I'm friends with folks on who are have more liberal leanings than I do. Um, and we enjoy debating. And it's like really fun, actually, to to interact with each other at that level, at that intellectual level. But you're asking, you know, the question is like, how many are willing to go to the intellectual level? Because you say it's like hard, right? Yeah. Are they doing their research? Are they actually like digging in? Or is it just that they want it the easy way out, which is calling you a racist, right? I think the the ones that actually choose to sit down to have a conversation, they probably know their topic better than most. But I would say most just choose not to engage because that's what they've been told, mm-hmm. either by mainstream media or just social media. You know, just don't engage with them. They're whatever. Um, and that's just what they've been told. Too many people are just doing what they're being told to do. They're, they're thinking in a certain way because that's what they're being told to think. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, America's most racist country, you know, has flawed past, you know, it's an unequal country, you know, whatever they're being taught, they're just sticking with that because in a sense, it's the easy way out. Like, yeah, that's an easy way to think. Let's just leave it there. Yeah. You don't have to do any more thinking. You can just look everything up on your phone now. It's too easy. Why put in the effort of actually doing the research for yourself? Yeah. No, yeah, that is that is concerning with the work ethic. And it, it kind of brings me to my next question of like, what, I mean, how prepared do you feel like you're coming out? I mean, you're a senior, Jessica. Uh, Kyle, you still got some time, but do you guys feel like the col- your college experience is preparing you properly to really engage? Like I think back to... You know, I often I often do kind of think about the UK uh, higher education system like Oxford because of just like the rich history of the folks who've come out of Cambridge and Oxford and stuff. Um, and I've had some friends who've gone there and they talk about how debate is such a big part of the culture in their classrooms. Um, and obviously, if you look at Parliament, uh, it's like they're literally just standing up and arguing with each other the whole time. There's a lot of engagement. There's, um, and you know, the UK has its own problems for what it's worth. But at the same time, you kind of wonder, like, we don't have that culture anymore. We're really losing it. This, like, this desire to debate, this desire to argue, and like actually put out your ideas and hear what people have to say about them, and be okay with the fact that you might get completely shot down because you might be wrong. But then like knowing, using that as a motivator to actually learn about the issue even more. So what do you guys uh, think about like, if you, are you, do you feel like you're prepared intellectually for kind of the adult world or the professional world? Or do you feel like you're going to have to do a lot of self-teaching? Um, well, I can go first. I, I think 
that this issue is not one I have because I do it myself. And I feel like I'm constantly doing it myself. I'm like, I'm always debating. I'm always trying to find, I don't live in an echo chamber. I have not lived in one all my life. I still don't live in one. Um, but it's not the fact that like they're not prepared. Is that the, what the experience that they have is that they want to change the professional world to shape like their worldview too. It's like we always make fun of like safe spaces. And that was like the big thing. I remember when I was like 12 years old, that was like the big thing on the internet is that every college had a safe space. And that people, they can't handle other opinions that they don't like. That was like the big like running joke on like YouTube at the time. And, you know, they want that like throughout their entire life. Like they want that safe space in their workplace. Like, you know, they don't want people who are going to be antagonistic or if somebody is a Republican, they don't want them at their workplace too. So they're going to bring these, these values and these ideas that they've molded at the university and they're going to bring it with them to the rest of the world and to Congress even. <laughs> yeah. So to the tech yeah. companies to like, they're going to be, yes. I mean, I talk about this all the time. They're going to be CEOs. I mean, these days in order to get any le- real leadership position at any organization or company, you have to have a four-year degree at least. So you're definitely going to be in these positions, working for these companies. You're going to be representing us abroad. I mean, this is, it is concerning, you know, kind of what is the level of preparation especially intellectually and with the, with the skill set of thinking critically and, you know, what, it, what are students bringing out with them? Like, are they actually learning to think critically? Because if they're not, like, what kind of leadership is that going to give us? Um, the concern here is especially, you know, you, you can look at, I, I, I look at the Biden administration and oftentimes I see, like, I look at the white house staff, they're mostly like my age millennial generation. Um, and I just feel like there's like a serious, like disorganization, like there's, there's weird messaging coming out. A lot of times it's lazy messaging. It's lazy write-ups. You know, the briefs are lazy. I don't, I I'm almost confident. They don't read everything that they like, they don't read the laws thoroughly. They don't, they don't actually have anyone to do. And the reason I say that is because it's just like, it's, it's all over the place. It's all over the map. There's no consistency. And you're like, but that's the skill sets that we're developing. We're developing you know, uh, generations of folks who procrastinate, who don't want to do like the hard work of research, who don't want to think critically about things, who just want to parrot um, the talking points over and over again, and everything is reduced to a talking point. Um, and there's no real intellectual depth. Um, and so that is, sorry, I'm on my soapbox now, but that's a serious concern for like, when we're talking about like the future leaders of this world, because America is a leading country in the world. And you're like, what's that going to look like? You know, we're not, are we ever going to get like another you know, Abraham Lincoln, are we ever going to get another one of these guys, uh, like an, even another like Martin Luther King Jr., people who are willing to like stand up and think critically about what's going on. Um, and you, you, it's hard to say, yes, we'll have another one of those at some point in this country because I just don't see it happening. Uh, Jessica, do you have any comments on on Gen Z preparation for intellectual thinking, uh, critical thinking? Yeah, I mean, the thing that comes to mind is that... Um like we're coming out of these universities taught to just not just be a robot, but just follow what we're told, do what you're told. But I, even then, and and I think we talked about this, how there's no repercussions. So you go to school here, you learn whatever you learn, and then you go out in the real world and you think it's going to be the same, but it's not the same. You're going to have to work probably 40 hours a week. If you commit a crime, you're going to go to jail. But if you happen to live in a liberal city, you might not even go to jail. So it's just yeah. the whole process keeps repeating itself. I'm from Southern California, so I know very well um, that it, things aren't, you know, how, how they are supposed to be. That's not really how it goes. And I didn't really want to put up with any more woke policies um, from like COVID and stuff. So I actually am graduating a year early. I was normally supposed to graduate in 2024, but I'm graduating this upcoming May in 2023 because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen next year. I'm sure something else is. And I just, <laughs> I didn't want to deal with that. Um, I think we're going to have a very big issue with the workforce. Um, I mean, they're talking about that we're not going to have, you know, social security for us, but like, I don't even think there's going to be enough people that want to work. I mean, everyone's just going to want to apply right. to be on unemployment because it, it's unfair to work 40 hours a week or whatever, because they believe right. they're entitled to some social safety network that doesn't really exist. Um, yeah. So. Well, yeah, that's what I find fascinating too. And I, I kind of am curious of your thoughts um, on the social media effects of all of this. 
uh, we've talked about mob mentality and perpetuating ignorance. And I mean, I think at the core of a lot of that is social media. Um, and we can really, we can, we can kind of trace all of these, um, these like crazy, weird, strange, ignorant political movements back to efforts on social media, Marxist efforts via social media, um, as, just as much as we can trace them back to the campus. Um, so I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on, you know, as, as Gen Zers, like, uh, you know, it's, I, it's, it's, there's even more now than when I was, when I was in school. So what are your thoughts on this? I'm curious also what your thoughts are on the Elon Musk stuff, uh, with Twitter. Uh, if you think that's going to be helpful, do you think there's a way, a saving grace of sorts for social media that will actually make it useful to society? Or do you think it's just going to be gloom and doom all the way? Um, I can say I am. I'm glad that you Musk on Twitter. I think it's going to be a lot more interesting place. I end up on Twitter. Not. I don't have a personal account. I have a, you know a fun a fun account. I use that. I use it for fun. But um, it's especially with Instagram. I think the big issue is like Instagram because I think the app that you're like you have like your friends on, right? Like you can post like a little story. You know, tops just like a little short little post is there for 24 hours. You know, nothing too crazy. But there's all these accounts on like Instagram that make these like short little infographics about like whatever's going on in the world i think there's one um account called impact that some people love to use and like they'll post like whatever impact posts like they'll post on their story it's always something liberal always something that i mean it's just like a short graphic no context like nothing accurate um and yeah it's just hard especially i remember when that whole nightclub shooting happened recently, um, everyone was posting on their stories. Everyone I saw was posting about how this is the fault of Fox News because they are critical of how the LGBT community can, you know, prey, prey on children sometimes. And they're saying that it's Fox News' fault and that's also Republicans' fault and that this person was a MAGA Republican who was shooting up a, a gay, a bunch of gay people. And with no evidence, nothing at all, right. but a bunch of social media accounts are putting that on the social media. So they see that and then they post it onto their social media and everyone's sharing it. They see it on other people's story and they're all sharing it. And they're sharing this narrative that is not even true. And I actually right. had a conversation with somebody that I'm on student government with and I had a conversation with him about it. And I said, that's not even accurate, not even true. We had a whole conversation. I found out you know, he's from Kansas and he knows the Republicans and our ignorance. And, you know, I'm, and I told him, and I told him that we've experienced, you know, violence and he, he shrugged, shrugged it off. He said, what violence have you experienced? You experienced nothing. And I told him what I've told you here today. And then he said, oh, that makes sense why you get pushed back on this campus. So, you know, this mentality on social media definitely permeates. And it's just hard to see that somebody who's trying to be a leader on our campus yeah. would say these things about, you know, a good majority, not majority, a good portion of people on this campus, you know, yeah. who have no connection to any of this. And they want to just put that blame on us. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was a fascinating the way the media handled that. I mean, we talk about social media impact, but then there's also like mainstream media. And I think most of like Gen Z and millennials actually get majority of their news still from social media sources. Um, but even those who are watching like network news and those who are still taking the time to like sit down to CNN and whatnot. Um, it's like there was no apology. There was no like there was no recall of facts. They just kind of like, they put all this information out there. It was a MAGA Republican. It was someone, you know, someone that like, we don't like who was the evil guy who did the bad thing. And then it, it turns out the guy's like none of those things. And they completely mischaracterize the situation. They just start talking about it as if they never said anything else. And then it just kind of goes away. There's no like repercussions. There's no accountability for false facts, false characterizations. Um, and you kind of like wonder, like, how how far are they going to take this? Because this isn't the first time, obviously, that they've characterized things like this. Um, I think it was like Kyle Rittenhouse and who was the the guy, the turning point student, or I don't know if it was turning point, the high school student who um, was at was in D.C. who faced the the Native American who was like trying to like yeah, and then like the media called him this like racist and stuff and it totally destroyed his life. But they got millions of dollars out of these networks for, for, um, you know, get putting out bad characterizations of who they are wrong and inaccurate, um, characterizations. So there are consequences, but you know, how, how far and how long is this going to happen? Is this like a new normal? Uh, who knows? But, um, Jessica, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the social media impacts on, on all of this as well. Um, and then we can kind of wrap it up with some final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I can't wait to graduate because I just want people to know that I graduated from Georgetown and then I'm just going to delete everything um, yeah, because yeah. it's just it's so unhealthy. And for a, a young person to just be on social media 
it's, it's just bad. Like, yeah, it's entertaining. There's a lot of funny videos and memes, whatnot. But at the end of the day, our algorithms know us so, so well. And even if we don't know it, we're probably living in an equal chamber and we're be, and, and and that's because we want to listen to things we agree with right. we want right. to see things on our feed that we agree with we don't want to see some you know woke propaganda on our feed and not not that you should be seeing that but it's just all kind of it's all going in a direction where we're not gonna want to think for ourselves we're just gonna get instructions and we're going to be told from from the news from the media that this is what happened don't question it move on right um and it's it's just really not a a good way to move on with i'm sure your life i'm I'm sure i i don't know what's going to happen next i mean we had covid and then whatever god knows what's going to happen next but it's just like i'd rather really focus on myself and not pay attention to all that. I, I think Elon Musk uh, acquiring Twitter was definitely a great idea because even he came out and said that like, yeah, Twitter definitely interfered in the 2020 election. But of course, no one else from Twitter would actually agree to that or they would actually say that, but he's publishing proof. Um, Twitter is imperfect. Um, it probably never will be, but I, I, value the the honest attempt at you know really trying to make it a free speech zone right online i mean uh no i mean i think that's a great great point and i i do find it interesting you know it is kind of uh sad you say you want to you're graduating a year early because you just like don't want to deal with it anymore on campus like you are just you're over it you're like ready to get off there and like start your career um, that's, that's fascinating to me because oftentimes when someone says they're graduating early, it's just because, you know, it just kind of worked out that way, or they just like are very excited about the career, but they're, it's not because they're just trying to get out of, they're trying to escape, um, the, the campus. Um, so I think that's sad. And that's something that, um, uh, schools like Georgetown should really be taking into consideration. Like there's, they're, they're pushing kids. Off. I mean, at the same time, it's like, you kind of wonder how much of the, this was part of the goal, right? Like to make it. So it that. was either that or transferring, but I didn't yeah. work so hard and make it here to, right. to just transfer out. So I wasn't going to give them that. <laughs> that's no, that's, that's really profound. And that is something that is very disconcerting. Um, you mentioned also that you guys are mandated to take certain like diversity, equity, inclusion training courses. I'm curious, Kyle, are you guys also required to take these Ours is, ours is called diversity and inclusion. So there's no equity in there yet. Okay. It may get in there soon. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, so we, we did a report um, this year on just what some of these training programs with these freshman orientations tend to highlight. Um, we found that only 30% of them even talk about free speech or viewpoint diversity. Um, and even those, it was still a seven to one ratio of like, social justice, DEI, CRT, microaggression, trigger warnings, conversations versus, you know, free speech and viewpoint diversity. So there's a very heavy emphasis. I'm curious if that if that speaks true to kind of your experiences on campus. Um, and if you feel like your school even tried to talk about free speech or the First Amendment um, when, when you first either came on, or if they ever since have, have tried to send something out on that. Um, I will say a bit of shiny hope is that our university does do that, but I don't think it's because our university wants to, because our board of regents is the one who told them that we need to do a free speech training. And the board of regents are the ones who are appointed by our governor. So, um, you know, we actually don't have like a, that kind of training. Not, I don't remember that happening. We do have like a gen ed we have to take. It's like diversity inclusion. And it's just one of the classes. You get to pick one. I picked mine was about Italian Americans, so I was good enough to deal with all the nonsense. But um, we do have DEI on this campus, regardless. It's not just mandated for students. The professors do it. Professors take it. All our departments have DEI initiatives. Even our clubs. If you've ever heard, of, like we have like a dance marathon here. It's where they like they just dance for for kids with cancer at our hospital at the university, and they have DEI in a club where you just dance for how long you can dance. You're like, why do we need? Why does that need DEI? It's a bunch of students dancing. Like I, I just don't get it. But like, it's still definitely a part of a university, even if the people at the way top aren't enforcing it. It's people right. at the bottom who are enforcing it. Yeah, they just want to put it in everything. It's like this kind of catch-all. Um, Jessica, what was some of the mandated DEI stuff that you had to do at Georgetown? 
Um, I probably just tried to block that memory from my mind. <laughs> so if it isn't there, it's very deep and I can't really think of it or I probably skipped through all of it. Um, I know that we also have to take one of these. I don't know what they stand for, but it's basically a diversity class. Um, and that was actually the one I was telling you before about the yeah. African-American studies class that I had to take. And the funny part is that I actually had to take that my freshman year in the summer before even starting here because I'm a low-income student um, and first generation. So I was part of that program, but there's only like very few white people to start with in that program, which is fine, you know, um, but uh, that was the class I had to take. And I was essentially forced into it. I didn't even get to choose what class I would have taken that summer. They kind of just put me into it. And I was like, okay, cool. I guess we're doing it, you know? So um, that was definitely something I had to do. They've had different types of like sexual assault trainings that they've had us do on, you know, online. Um, and like, yeah, they sure they send out, you know, some reminders about free speech but like really do you actually care probably not you know it's more it's very topical it's for the for the optics per se right no that that's kind of the impression that i've gotten as well as it's more about the optics for all of this um but that is interesting because if you're required to take these classes these you know whatever diversity and inclusion classes you have to take one you know at least the four years you're there i'm curious you know if you're if the schools start requiring American history classes or if they require, you know, studies of the constitution or like understanding like American culture as well. Like, is that even, is that even required or mandated at any level? Um, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, it's probably not. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, again, it's like, yeah, it's an interesting piece of history to learn about like African-American specific history in the country. But then it's like, if you're required to take that class, why aren't you also required to take other historic, historically relevant classes for, for this country? So that's kind of begs the question. Um, all right. So I want to get your, just your final thoughts on, um, before we wrap up, just what you think kind of, do, is there hope for the college campus? What are your thoughts on, you know, what to, for students who are kind of going through very similar situations as you, any recommendations for any students who are listening to this? Um, but also just kind of what your kind of big over overarching ideas are on, on this issue, because it's obviously, again, like I mentioned earlier, it's always great to get a student perspective on this because you guys are on the ground and you're dealing with this every single day. So, yeah, just some final thoughts from both of you. Yeah, I, oh, uh, <laughs> I can start out here. Um no, I do think there's hope. And I think the best thing to come out of COVID, even though a lot of them not good things out of COVID, the best thing is that conservatives are taking, are looking into education more. And I think, and not just like us, but like the adults, they're looking into education. They're realizing like, oh, this is what academia is. Like, this is right. what, even in my kid's kindergarten class, this is what's happening. And, you know, I'm telling all this stuff and I live in a red state. I live in a state with a Republican governor, a Republican yeah. legislature. We are a completely red state at this point in Iowa. Um, so, and we have public universities that are governed by people who are appointed by our governor. And yet we still have DI, we still have people who are employed here who push liberal propaganda. You know, I just think conservatives, come on, we need, in any state where you have the power, you need to use your power. Right. You need to use it because liberals use their power. So why yeah. can't we use our own power? <laughs> we don't do that. And we don't have to push a conservative agenda. I'm not saying that, but we can at least step in and say, no, we did, we're not pushing the liberal agenda anymore. We're going to make a, a, a campus like it was back in the day where it was a completely academic campus. Yeah, That's what we need to do as conservatives. And I will be pushing our Iowa Republicans to be start doing that. But, um, and I, I also just say to students too, so Republicans, you're listening, please, please help us. Um, but just for students too you know, don't give up. Like, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. You know, I've experienced, but giving up is what they want you to do. They want you to be silent. They want you to just to be obedient. They want you to, to not make any waves, not rock the boat. They want you to stay quiet. So you cannot not give up. You cannot stay quiet when they, when they, when they get loud, you get louder. And when they fight back, when they, when they attack you, you fight back, not physically, but you fight back with your words, you fight back with your actions, you fight back by being a stronger presence on the campus. And that's what we have sought to do, even in a red state. And I know it's probably hard if you're in like California's university system, but yeah. 
it, our, our country hangs in the balance. This is our future. And if you want a good country in the future, you got to do the work now. So thank you for inviting me. And yeah, for sure. that would just be my message to anyone listening. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And on that note, real quick, it's like, it's, it's funny because you think being in a red state, this issue wouldn't be as, as bad, but I mean, the, the universities we've dealt with at Speech First that we've had to litigate against, there are, a lot of them are in red states. We just recently won against University of Central Florida and University of Texas. We've done, we've had a number of cases in Texas. So, you know, this is not, you're, unfortunately, no college student is safe from this. This is all campuses are suffering from very similar situations. Um, we can always have a whole nother podcast on like speculating on why that is and discussing why that is. So I'd have be happy to have you guys back for that. But I think it's 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 important to note that yeah, California is a very blue state, and I'm sure going to college in California is rough for a conservative. But you know, it's it's kind of across the country at this point. It doesn't really matter where you are. Um, the college campus is not friendly to conservative ideas or to open debate and discourse. Uh, Jessica, what are your what are your final thoughts? Yeah, I really like your point, Kyle, about conservatives needing to get involved in education and they need to start caring about education because caring about politics isn't enough. Clearly, I mean, even the people you elect to office, even, you know, lecture, not even them, they might keep their promises and they might be exactly what they said they'd be. But on these school boards, it's all liberals running or people working in academia. It's it's a vast majority of them are liberal and they've really been winning on that front because we've let them just kind of take over, but we, we need to get back in there and we need to start fighting back. And my advice for students, um, it it really is tied to me personally and uh, my family of like living in a country where you don't have any free speech. And if you don't want it, they'll take it away from you very, very easily and quickly Um, So even if you don't want to go out there in a Trump hat and say, you know, MAGA, whatever, you don't have to do that. You can choose your fights. You can pick and choose your fights. But when you do open your mouth, make sure you fight, you know, because they pretty much already hate you. You can't you can't possibly you can't really possibly say anything bad. I mean, like, that's the whole thing. Just be respectful stand for what you believe in, choose your fights, because it's not easy being on a liberal campus. It's very hard. You're going to feel like you're all by yourself, but find your community of people. I've co-founded a club here on my campus, and I'm the president of our Network of Enlightened Women chapter, which is a chapter for conservative women. And we have 60 women in our group Me, like 60 conservative women at Georgetown. Where? Yeah. You know, it's like, where are they? But they're they're here. You just need to... You need to do your best to reach out and and just let them know that they're not alone because that was very helpful for me and doing it for others is is very very encouraging. Great. No, that's that I think these are both excellent points to to end on. I appreciate you both coming on today uh on onto well said and and of course your involvement. We've got some student spotlight pieces that are going to be coming out on both of your stories. I think Jessica's yours is already posted to our our website. And Kyle's, you're, you're, we're wrapping yours up as well. So if anyone wants to learn more about their stories, you can go to speechfirst.org and you know you can search their names on our website or you can go to our blog where we feature all of our student spotlight pieces um, where we do kind of an in-depth interview of individual students' experiences on campus. But thank you everyone for joining us today. I'm Sharice Trump and Jessica and Kyle, that was well said. <laughs>